Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Luckett-Gatopoulos. I'm an emergency physician and pediatric emergency physician practicing in Ontario, Canada, and this is my COVID diary. Before we get started, nothing in this podcast constitutes medical advice. My views are mine alone and do not represent the views of my employers or colleagues. By the way, if you missed the first two episodes in this series, go back and listen to them first. This episode will make a lot more sense if you do. This is not the episode I was intending to record today. At the end of the last episode, I promised I would talk about what we mean when we say flattening the curve. I have an episode in the works about that, but I want to take a moment to discuss something I've seen a lot of at the grocery store recently. Masks. A couple of weeks ago, it was uncommon to see medical masks in public, but my most recent trip to the grocery store was a safari of masks worn in a variety of strange and interesting ways. I saw surgical masks and N95 masks, poorly fitted masks and masks worn upside down, masks covering mouths but not noses, masks being touched and adjusted with the same hands that steered carts and selected produce. Some countries have mandated that their citizens wear masks while out in public in an effort to slow the spread of COVID-19. Canada hasn't done that yet, but I understand the urge people are responding to. We all just want to be safe and keep our loved ones safe too. Still, it's hard to see people wearing masks incorrectly. We are facing a critical shortage of PPE, personal protective equipment, in our hospitals. As frontline healthcare staff, we are currently limited to two masks per shift in an effort to conserve equipment. We hope that good stewardship and wise use of our resources will allow us to stretch our scarce supply just a few more days. We hope, in turn, that those days will give our leaders an opportunity to source additional supplies so that we can stay safe and keep our patients safe as well. Now don't get me wrong, I'm grateful that I'm not being told to tie a bandana around my mouth and nose and get on with it, which some of our American colleagues have been told to do. And ultimately, any protection right now feels better than none. We have to work with what we have available. But wearing just two masks per shift means wearing a mask longer than it's meant to be worn, not changing masks between patients as we normally would, and limiting eating and drinking so that we're not removing and replacing contaminated equipment. We often reach the end of our eight or nine hour shifts with dry mouths, thirsty and hungry, because our drive to conserve a precious resource overcomes our drive to take a sip of water or nibble on a granola bar. It's difficult. Our faces are itchy. The backs of our ears are rubbed raw, never getting any respite from the straps that loop behind them to keep the masks in place. Anything that allows us to stretch our equipment out just a little longer means that we're more likely to have equipment to use when we care for the next patient. We are scared and frustrated at not being better protected, but most of us are willing to make that sacrifice. That sacrifice, however, is all the more difficult to commit to when we see people wearing masks incorrectly in public, believing that these masks do things that they do not. I don't know if wearing a mask at the grocery store is the right thing to do. Your decision to wear a mask in public is ultimately based on your own personal calculus, an equation that takes into account your personal vulnerability, your responsibility to others, and your access to personal protective equipment. I can't tell you what to do. 
But if you're wearing a mask to the grocery store, I hope you're doing it right. That's what this episode is about. So, let's talk masks. First, not all masks are created equal. The mask I'm wearing in the picture that inspired the cover art for this series is a surgical mask, sometimes called a procedure mask. Surgical masks are loose-fitting and disposable. They loop behind the ears or tie behind the head. Surgical masks are generally designated as level 1, level 2, or level 3 protection. They provide a barrier between you and your environment. Last episode, we talked about how virus particles infect us in the form of droplets. Surgical masks prevent those droplets from contacting your mouth or nose and entering your system. But there are some things that surgical masks cannot do. The first, and most obvious, is that they can't protect parts of you that they aren't covering. If you come to the emergency department these days, and I recommend you don't do that if you can avoid it, you'll notice that most of us are wearing additional eye protection in the form of goggles or large plastic face shields. Your mouth and nose are important entry points for virus infection, but so are your eyes. A typical surgical mask cannot protect your eyes. It cannot protect your nose if it's not pulled up over your nose. It cannot protect your mouth if it's pulled down and resting on your chin. If you choose to wear a surgical mask, it should be tied or looped appropriately and cover both your mouth and your nose. The second important thing that surgical masks cannot do is protect you against virus particles that you pick up on your hands and subsequently transfer to your eyes, nose, or mouth. If you're not used to wearing a mask, you may find yourself tempted to frequently touch or adjust your mask with your hands. You may find yourself wanting to scratch your nose or to pull your mask down when you are, for instance, driving in your car and then pull it back up when you arrive at your destination. But every time you touch your mask, you risk transferring virus particles from your hands to your face, where they can be absorbed by your eyes, mouth, or nose. And guess what? Gloves transfer virus particles just as readily as hands do. So if you touch your masked face with gloves, you're still at risk of transferring virus particles to yourself and becoming infected. If you choose to wear a mask, you should wash your hands before putting it on your face. You should put it on, adjust it once before touching anything else, and then not touch it again until you're ready to take it off. Your mask will become contaminated over the course of wearing it, meaning that virus particles will end up on the outside of your mask. Before taking your mask off, you should again wash your hands thoroughly. Afterwards, dispose of the mask in the garbage, touching it as little as possible. Finally. Carefully wash your hands one last time before moving on with your day. If you take your mask off in a public space, like the street, a hallway, or an elevator, you risk infecting others. Let me be clear here, just don't do it. Now, you may have heard that healthcare workers are desperate not just for surgical masks, but also for masks called N95s. N95 masks, or N95 respirators, are so-called because they filter about 95% of airborne particles before they reach your lungs. You may have heard some debate about whether particles of the virus that causes COVID-19 are transmitted primarily by droplets or aerosols. It 
seems like the virus is primarily transmitted through droplets, which means that N95 masks are probably unnecessary in most aspects of daily life. We do know, however, that viral particles can be aerosolized during certain procedures that happen in the hospital, including some kinds of breathing support, like intubation. Particles may also become aerosolized during CPR. So N95 masks probably aren't all that useful outside the hospital, but healthcare workers definitely need them available to provide critical care support to very sick patients with COVID-19 and other conditions like tuberculosis. Remember, all sorts of other infection didn't just stop because we had COVID-19. Another important point is that N95 masks only work when they're appropriately fitted. Unlike surgical masks, N95 masks have to fit the contours of your face. There are several different sizes of N95 mask, and there's no way to tell which one fits you best without proper fit testing. Fit testing involves spraying a sweet or bitter substance, like saccharin or bitrix, into a special testing hood, and having the wearer breathe it in to see if any of that substance can be tasted under the mask. Even a mask that feels like it fits properly may not stand up under these conditions. For a mask to fit properly, it also needs to be worn properly. For instance, it cannot be properly fitted with a beard, which is why many male emergency physicians are looking clean-shaven and baby-faced these days. And like a surgical mask, it shouldn't be adjusted once it's on, because there may be contaminated particles on the outside of the mask. The special challenge at the moment is that N95 respirator masks are in especially short supply these days. Which means, unfortunately, that healthcare providers all over the world are being forced to wear N95 masks, sometimes for several days at a time, storing them in paper bags between uses. We're repeatedly affixing something to our faces without knowing if or when it could have become contaminated. In addition, some of the most common varieties of N95 masks are becoming unavailable meaning that we may have to wear respirators that just don't fit as well while we work to keep critically ill patients alive. Our administrators are working diligently to find supplies of masks and secure viable alternatives, but with the whole world facing the same pandemic and the same shortages, this isn't an easy task. Just some food for thought if you're keeping a box of N95 respirators in your basement just in case. You may think that even if your mask doesn't fit well, any mask is better than no mask at all. You may think that anything that reduces your risk of getting sick with COVID-19 is worth it, and that a mask will do just that. I beg to differ. Masks are a gateway to false confidence. Believing we are protected by wearing a mask can encourage us to do things we wouldn't normally do otherwise like gathering with others or making non-essential trips out of the house. Masks that are touched and adjusted with contaminated hands become contaminated themselves, increasing the risk of virus transmission. During the SARS pandemic, this is how many people, including healthcare workers, became infected with the virus. Improper disposal of used masks can result in the release of droplets into the air and onto surfaces Again, potentially increasing viral spread. And of course, like I've said so many times already, masks are in short supply. At the beginning of the episode, I mentioned that frontline healthcare workers are limited in the number of masks we receive per shift. 
We are trying to conserve our supply, allowing it to last as long as possible. But what happens if we run out? It won't matter how many masks you have for your own use if you need to come to the emergency department and no one is there to care for you because too many providers have become ill or exposed due to a lack of personal protective equipment. Masks won't help you if you come in with a broken arm but become infected with COVID-19 because your provider has been forced to use contaminated equipment, carrying viral particles amongst patients and possibly becoming sick themselves. So. Wear masks if you choose, but please wear them smartly. If you choose to wear a surgical mask, please apply it properly. If you choose to wear an N95 respirator, make sure it's appropriately fitted. There are companies that provide mask fitting, and you can find these online through a quick Google search. Once you've applied your mask, be careful not to touch it until you're ready to take it off. Research the appropriate method of removal and disposal and follow that. Wash your hands carefully before and after touching your mask. Critically, remember that your best lines of defense are social distancing and diligent hand hygiene, not masks. If you choose not to wear masks that you've purchased or have at home, please consider donating them and other medical supplies to your local hospital system. Most are accepting donations of supplies, including masks and gloves. Please look up your local hospital system to find the appropriate channels for a donation. Don't just show up to your local emergency department. We want you to be able to donate safely so that you stay well. And walking into the emergency department is simply not safe right now. Cloth masks may be an alternative, but they're probably more appropriate in helping us reduce the risk of transmitting the virus, not contracting it. They're not a safe alternative for those of us with direct patient contact. But if everyone else wears a low-level surgical or cloth mask covering both the nose and the mouth when leaving the house to buy groceries, maybe we will see less community transmission of COVID-19. These are frightening times, and I know that all my mask wearers out there are just doing your best in the face of fear and uncertainty. These are frightening times, and I know that all my mask wearers out there are just doing your best in the face of fear and uncertainty. There's no blame or judgment here. We are all learning to navigate an unfamiliar landscape, and I hope that this episode has given you some insight into the seemingly easy decision to wear a mask in public. Now here's a small update about where we are with respect to the COVID pandemic right now. As of April 5th, 2020, There are 14,426 cases of COVID-19 in Canada. That's nearly 10,000 more than I reported in the previous episode last week. 258 people have died. That's nearly 200 more than I reported last week. In Ontario, where I live and work, 4,038 people are known to have become sick with COVID. 1,449 have recovered. 119 have died. But don't despair at these numbers. Just looking at the past few days, the growth in the number of new COVID-19 cases seems to be slowing down. And that's thanks to those of you who are practicing social distancing, washing your hands, and being diligent about keeping away from others who are sick. It's not easy. These are really tough times. Many of my friends and family have been laid off work. People are struggling to pay bills, 
watching their savings dwindle, and worrying about what their financial futures may look like. The economy is going to take a very long time to recover. Kids are at home instead of at school, and nobody seems quite sure when they'll be able to go back. We need to keep an eye out for our neighbors, because as we are all stuck at home, tensions can rise. Families who already suffer with violence may see that escalate, and we need to be alert so that we can help. Those of us who still have jobs are still going a bit stir-crazy. Let's not underestimate how hard it is to go between work and home and nowhere else, not seeing our friends or family, and often lacking the hugs, handshakes, and physical proximity that makes us feel human. But we should be encouraged that new cases don't seem to be coming as quickly. Your sacrifice is making a difference. Don't stop now. The Spanish flu pandemic of 1918 had a terrible third wave because quarantine became tedious and seemed unnecessary. People flooded the streets, relieving their cabin fever only to fall very, very ill. Let's not make the same mistake twice. As an emergency physician, I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate how hard it is. I know we all want to stop doing this hard thing. We want to go back to our normal lives. But please, please don't give up. You can do hard things. And the hard things you are doing are making a difference. I believe in you. I thank you for what you're doing in the service of your community. I've got your back. And I'm so grateful that you've got mine. I'll be back soon with another episode. Until then. Wash your hands, don't touch your face, and please, stay safe. <laughs>